but I do think there's something about we're on the same team in relationship. And to me, I think that lives in that realm of, of like healthy interdependence, right? Where of course we want to support the people that we love. Of course we want them to support us. Of course we're going to make decisions and take actions that not only benefit just ourselves, but also the people around us that we love. But we're also not so wrapped up in it that we subsume ourselves, we subsume our own desires, our own needs, our own mental state for the sake of the other person. But I, I think that's what comes to mind for me here is finding that middle path of, and ideally, again, ideally, in the spirit of being on the same team, this is something you and your partner can collaborate on. There's also an active meta conversation around the best ways that the two of you can support each other when you're having a hard time while also having your own desires, your own needs, other relationships that you need to show up for, things like that. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, it's time for another Q&A episode compiled from questions from you, our beautiful, lovely listeners. This week, we are going to be discussing some questions having to do with challenges about being polyamorous in a monogamous world, and even if you want to be polyamorous, struggling with some of that monogamous programming. And then we're also going to look at if it's possible to rekindle a friendship with a metamor after they're no longer seeing your mutual partner, as well as some of the joys of polyamory. We're going to cover the whole range of experiences today. If you have a question that you would like discussed and answered on the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash multiamory. And whenever we do one of these, we will post in those groups asking for contributions for questions. And that's where we get these. So we have to give the disclaimer that while we have spent a lot of time reading about and studying and educating ourselves on healthy relationship habits and good communication, we're not mind readers, we're not soothsayers, we are not magicians, we are not witches, doctors. at least not that you know of, <laughs> we're not doctors. Our advice, thoughts, opinions is based solely on the limited information that we have from these questions. So as always, take it with a grain of salt. Everybody's situation is unique, so we encourage you, the listener, to use your own judgment, seek professional help if needed, and again, ultimately, you and the people asking these questions are the only true experts on their own lives and feelings, and everybody's decisions are their own. And with that said, let's dive in and get started. I really like getting these questions from our Patreon listeners because... Some themes get sprinkled about depending on the week or the month that we ask, which is really fascinating. And I saw two very big themes this month. So the first Jace was talking about in the opening, and that is the challenges of being polyamorous in a monogamous world and also dealing with some of the reprogramming 
or deprogramming of those monogamous values that maybe you have initially or that other people have and trying to figure out how to be polyamorous even when it's so difficult because so many of those values come up in other ways. And then the second part of the episode is going to be about metamors and some of the challenges that may come with having metamors with, do you like your metamor or not? Things along those lines. All right, I guess I'll start. Okay, being a queer young person in NYC, a lot of people in my friend groups and dating scene are starting to open up to the idea of polyamory. This is potentially a great thing, but I have found that a lot of these people are usually pretty inexperienced with poly and are trying it out because a lot of their peers are as well. This has happened to me several times where someone who knows I am poly and is interested in me ends up either changing their mind during the relationship and try to get me to agree to be monogamous, or quickly into dating we will both realize they hadn't really considered the long-term logistics of what having a poly family slash life structure looks like. Especially since I feel a lot of people are monogamous because we don't have many examples in society of what it looks like to be happy and polyamorous in the long term. People freak out because they feel lost without the relationship escalator timeline planning out their future. I've gotten better about not engaging with people who don't seem to be a good match for me this way, but sometimes you really don't see it coming, or even when you do, it's just so disappointing. Yeah, I bet it is. Also... This is interesting because this feels like it's a person who is younger than our generation. So, you know, being young and polyamorous in New York City, like try to put yourself in that (laughs) mindset. Well, I think it's interesting that they highlight the fact that I do think in a lot of queer scenes, sometimes there can be this pressure to be non-monogamous that, you know, statistics show us that people who identify as queer are generally more likely to also identify as non-monogamous or to have experience with non-monogamy. And so I do think that if you're in a group of friends, in a particular scene, in a particular community, and if everyone around you is identifying as both queer and poly or queer and non-monogamous, that it's really hard to resist that pressure, right? I think especially with something like non-monogamy, where there can be so many people really singing its praises and trying to logic you out of monogamy, as it were, or trying to be like, it just Mm. makes more sense. And especially for someone who's bi, it totally makes extra sense in that situation. And so I can see how that can create a dynamic where there's a lot of people who maybe at heart really would be happier being monogamous, but kind of feel like I need to at least try this out, which I can respect because I'm all about people at least being willing to experiment and try things on and, and then figuring things out from there. But I think it does make this particularly challenging. Yeah, the the one that stuck out to me was this thing about feeling lost without the relationship escalator timeline planning out their future. And that isn't something I thought of quite in those terms, but it makes a lot of sense. And I've seen versions of that. I just never quite put it exactly that way. So essentially with the relationship escalator, you have this sense of our relationship is getting more serious or it's going well if we're getting to these next steps, right? That keep going up the escalator and there's not really a way to go back down it, right? That's the whole idea. And so that concept of feeling lost is that maybe I'm happy in this relationship and I am enjoying it, but how do I know that it's going well if I don't have this thing to point at and be like, oh yeah, we took that next step, we moved in together. Or, oh yeah, we took that next step, we started dating exclusively even as an example, or whatever it is, right? That the way I've heard this put before is that 
some people who were being non-monogamous for the first time struggled with how do I express romantic feelings to my partner without falling into these tropes of, oh, it's because I don't want to be with anyone but you, or I only have eyes for you, or you complete me, or kind of these very monogamy-centric ideas of how we express love and express our affection for our partner. And so it's interesting to look at it this way too of, well, if I don't have these landmarks to gauge how it's going or to look forward to or to plan for, then what? You know, how do I know this is going well? I know that sounds weird to say it out loud like that, but I can understand how you would feel that way. It's interesting because I don't want to patronize here, but I feel like when I was a younger person, I was a little bit more attached to the idea of having those relationship escalator timelines and moments in my relationships, especially when I was really dealing in monogamous terms and thinking about, well, my relationship has to reach a, a certain point and go through a certain set of moments and ebbs and flows, and then that will equal success. And I think as I've grown and gotten older, I've found that relationship success really changes and can look a lot of different ways. And I do wonder if just perhaps dating a little bit older than just like the Gen Z, I guess, experience that this person sounds like they're the going Gen through. Z. The Jimi the Hendrix Gen experience. <laughs> the Gen Z experience, yeah. Then maybe <laughs> people who've gone through relationships, even maybe a divorce or a big breakup or their lives not ending up in that same trajectory that they imagined, maybe they would be a little bit more open to, yeah, I can do whatever I want in this relationship and it doesn't have to look a really specific way. Something to consider besides just the option of dating people that are in a slightly different age range is trying to go to events and find community, whether that's an online community like, you know, our patron group is nice for that because we have a really broad range of ages. You know, we have people that are very much Gen Z and we also have people who are boomers. It could be an online community like our patron group. I actually really value that getting to have perspectives from people that are younger than me and also people who are significantly older than me just to get those role models because they mentioned that in the question of not having those role models. And I would say even better is if you could get some of that community in person. And I think the importance of this is finding community that's not just about finding people to date, but also finding people to talk about, learn about their relationships and get a broader perspective on things. Because without that, yeah, it is really hard to know what to do or what this could look like in your life. I guess to clarify or, or piggyback off of what Emily was saying, not just about go find an older person to date, but find role models or yeah. mentorship or friendship or whatever. It doesn't have to be just about dating. I, I want to bring in a different angle on this, which is that I think a lot of people in the non-monogamous community, and I think especially a lot of us when we're young and idealistic, can get really wrapped up in this idea of screw the relationship escalator. We should all just be enlightened enough to be totally okay with it being the relationship wild west, as it were, with we just float in space and we don't have any markers of security or attachment or things like that. And we just figure it out as we go along, which personally, I don't think is very realistic as far as how relationships go. So I do think that if you are dating someone who is feeling a little freaked out by there not being a sense of an escalator or there not being a sense of a next milestone, instead of that being 
a deciding point where you decide, oh, toss this person in the garbage, they can't handle this whole non-monogamy thing, I think that's an opportunity for further questioning and discussion about what does help both of us feel safe and secure in relationship? What does the future look like for the two of us? What are some things that we might like that's maybe not sitting down and planning out the next five years, but thinking about like, what are we both open to as far as what could be on the table in this relationship in the future? Because again, I just don't think it's realistic to tell someone, I'm going to give you zero markers of security and attachment other than my glorious presence. And then you just have to deal with it. <laughs> okay, sure. so, so I think that's maybe something I wish I had known when I was a little bit younger, when in retrospect, I look back and see partners who would turn to me for wanting that security or sense of safety or reassurance. And what I gave back to them was a lot of like dogma. Hand-waving. Dogma and hand-waving, right? You know, of just hmm. like, whatever, a relationship escalator, it's okay. And like the theory is great and talking about these things in the abstract is great. And also when the rubber meets the road, like, yes, people want a sense of reassurance. And I think if you dive down underneath, for instance, it's like, oh, so you say that you really want to cohabit with somebody someday. Let's talk about what are the parts of that that sound exciting to you? Do you know, do you envision... I want someone that I can cuddle with every night or as I want someone who I can just talk about my day to day with or is it about I want to buy property with someone you know I think getting down into the nitty gritties of what what's actually there I think can actually make these milestones more expansive and accessible rather than feeling like oh my god my partner's trying to force me onto this escalator does that make sense that. to the two of you yeah yeah that's really fascinating because it's also sort of telling the person here, maybe slow the brakes on we have to end this relationship immediately and right. instead say, hey, what is it that we're looking for here? Can we find some commonality in that or not? Yeah, the challenge that the question asker seems to be facing, though, is that thing of on the one hand, I give everyone a chance and I get disappointed a lot by people yeah. saying, yeah, this is great for me. And then they want me to be monogamous and that's not something that I want. Or they freak out and are like, I can't do this anymore. I, uh, this is too too different. I don't feel secure enough in this. And then on the other hand, that idea of I want to try to pre-filter everyone so that I don't have these challenges. And then you can end up on the other side of, well, then you've missed out on these opportunities where maybe this could have worked. And that is that is a hard balance to strike. I can relate to it. And I think that that will always be there. And you could say that that's true of any kind of relationship too, right? Because each person is looking for something a little bit different from another person and that m there's parts of that that can be flexible and might change. And there's parts of that where, no, it's just not going to work if you want this different thing than what I want. And there's lots of different areas where that can show up, you know, anything from marriage and kids, even if you're a monogamous, right? That that might change how you think about things or cohabiting or just the kind of life you want to live, whether that's traveling a lot or it's settling down, whether it's living in the big city or living in a suburb, there's a lot of differences in how that can look. And so it, I think it's constantly this balance of looking for what might be compatible, what could work, how can we make this work with each other, but realizing that you're not going to find some bulletproof way of filtering beforehand right? That dating just inherently has that risk of you're going to get disappointed, but also has the risk of being delighted, I guess you could say. Let's move on to the next question, which is sort of related to this previous question, but in a not NYC area in a much more potentially conservative area. So here's the question. I realized I'm poly about six months ago and have since started trying to date again. 
My biggest hiccup so far is the amount of monogamous people who see polyamorous on my dating app profiles and automatically equate that with casual dating. I'm not opposed to casual dating, but I'm looking for a serious partner right now. Part of the issue is living in a conservative state with a pretty small poly dating pool, I think. I find myself having to explain it to so many dating prospects, and when they realize it's not just about casual sex, they disappear. Is this just something that comes with the territory, or should I only be trying to date other poly people? Uh, The age-old question of should I only be trying to date other non-monogamous people, and my personal answer to that for my own personal life has it changes probably every other year or so i would you, say you've hmm. talked so much over the years about the poly apprenticeship and we yeah. yeah we discussed that a lot very early on in the show but i think that that's something that you have to know is potentially going to come with the territory is if you meet a new person and they don't really know much about non-monogamy but are willing to try it in order to date you you may have to do some apprenticeship in terms of you know a young polyamorous padwan as well, it but, were. I, but I also but I also get a little squicked out by that dynamic sure, as well, sure. where it, it's so hard to avoid, of course, like if you have more experience or are more well read on the subject, like, yeah, of course, you're going to come to any conversation, maybe a little bit more armed with stuff to talk about or angles to consider. But you also don't want to perpetuate a power dynamic where yeah. you're the one who draws up the lines of like what counts as good non-monogamy or not. And they're the one just looking to you for that. But anyway, but to get back to the question askers question, I think there's a couple of options here, right? You know, I do think there is an option to get more granular in the dating app, right? As far as what you put on your profile, you know, so you could put on there that you're polyamorous and this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a partner or partners who can provide XYZ or I want to provide to a partner XYZ, right? So you can take that approach of trying to get more granular there. Of course, people are always going to skip over reading what's in your profile. You're still going to have to have the conversation. So so that's an option. Or, you know, you can try to take the approach of, all right, I'm going to try to date people who either already identify as non-monogamous or polyamorous or whatever. And again, It's going to limit your dating pool, which isn't always the worst thing necessarily, but that is a little bit of the the cost that you take on with that particular approach. Yeah. One thing to consider if you notice that a particular term like polyamorous being the first thing on your dating profile, people are just not interpreting that correctly or they're thinking it means something else is to look at what are other terms that you could use instead and just see do I notice a difference? Do I notice more people getting it? So, for example, something like consensually non-monogamous or ethically non-monogamous, whichever one you like better, just try substituting that and see if you notice a difference. See if those words make people think, huh, okay, that that's something different because maybe they, there's something in the media that made them associate polyamory with that you just want casual dating. And there's been a lot more talk about polyamory in general in the media. And it's been a real mix of pretty accurate coverage and a lot of just very sensational coverage in all sorts of ways. So maybe trying some different language could help. I do like what Dedeker mentioned about also adding in some specifics about what it is you are looking for. And something that I would say to be aware of, though, is to As much as possible, avoid going to the negative of what you don't want. 
and try to stick toward what you do want. And that's not to say you can never say, I'm not looking for this. Please don't message me if that's what you want. Sure, there's a place for that. But if possible, if you can find a way to say that in a, this is what I do want, or I'm only looking for this, I think that will just get you better results because then you're going to jump out to the people that are looking for that rather than jumping out as saying no to the people that don't, if that makes sense. Like kind of whose attention are you going to get that focusing on what you do want, I think makes more sense. But also if you're open to a variety of things, try not to be too specific and then kind of pigeonhole yourself of like, I'm only looking for someone who wants to get married within the year and the year is running out now, right? That's, you know, that might be more challenging than just saying, I'm looking for something more serious. It doesn't have to start that way, but I want it to get there. Something like that could be something to try and see if you notice different responses there. Also try different dating apps. Mm. There's a bunch of them out there and I've found at different years, I have more success in terms of who I meet on different ones. Can you name some that you've had great success on? Obviously, OkCupid. Well, sure. Like I had great success on OkCupid in the past. And then I've also had times where I've gone on it and it's just felt not great. Like I haven't felt like I'm making good matches on there. And then times when I've gotten back on it and it has felt good again. I think it kind of depends on who they're marketing to at the moment, maybe what's in vogue in the city where I am at that time. Uh, you know, so thinking about things like OkCupid or Field or Tinder or Bumble or, you know, all these different options of just experiment with the different ones. And you might find, oh, you know what? This one doesn't have as many people on it, but I'm getting better quality matches. Or this one, I don't like their interface, but it does seem to have better people on it. Or this one is a pleasure to use, but it's only people who want to hook up and that's not what I want. So kind of experimenting with those different things as well as different profiles and treat it a little bit like science. You know, take some of the pressure off of I've got to get it right, but let's try some things and see what happens here. I was going to say, even though it's great to know exactly what it is that you're looking for and try to find someone who aligns with that as well, that there's always the potential that a casual relationship could A, turn into something more or still be a long-term relationship in a variety of ways in your life. I've had people that may come through once in a while in my life and I only see them every you know year or maybe every six months, but those are really important relationships still in my life and that's great to be able to, to come back to from time to time. So I do think that although it sounds like you're looking for something more than just casual, it's nice to also view those casual relationships as maybe something that could continue on throughout the course of your life. Let's go on to our next question here. This one is, how do you manage a monopoly relationship without making the monogamous person feel less important? My soon-to-be husband is monogamous, but I've been poly for seven years, and in those seven years, I've been with my boyfriend who is also poly. So it sounds like both of these are somewhat long-term relationships, one's monogamous and one's polyamorous. Yeah, and I'm just going to go out on a limb. This is all the information we got for this question. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume this means that the monopoly structure is working. 
you know, I think sometimes we have people who reach out to us asking about monopoly relationships where it's like, we've been doing this for three months and it's really clear the monogamous person isn't happy with this. Uh, mm. How do we make this better? I'm just going to assume based on how this question is structured that the the fact that your partner is monogamous and you're polyamorous, that that's not an inherent issue, that that's working for everyone involved. So from that basis, that's where I would go from. And I mean, to be honest, though, from that basis, when the question is like, how do I make the monogamous person feel less important? I think, why are you asking us? Have you asked them? <laughs> Have you asked them? Or how, without how... making them feel less important. Yeah. Right. Like what, what helps to make them feel important? Or are there things that have gone on in the relationship that make them feel less important? I mean, maybe that's silly to ask, but I'm like, start at the front door. Yeah. It, immediately, this question made me think about what happens in NRE relationships, even when you are polyamorous with another person and maybe you've been with them for a long period of time, maybe you live with that person and then someone new comes into your life and you're super excited and you put a lot of emotional energy towards making that person, that new person feel special and wanted and you're super excited about them. And I do think that if you have, you know, potentially a revolving door of new partners coming in, that, yeah, that monogamous person may from time to time feel like, huh, I'm just the the one here that is always around and maybe I I feel a little bit less appreciated from time to time. So that's something I think to just think about in general, regardless of what type of relationship structure you're in, is that it's always super important to take a look at that if you're the one who is getting to go on a lot of new dates and meet a lot of new people. Just don't forget about those that are already in your life. And in terms of having a great relationship that makes that person feel special, try to do those novel experiences. Try to help that person feel as though they're they're really loved and appreciated by bringing them a gift or utilizing their love language in a new and special way, something along those lines. Yeah, I think a lot of it is you have to be really intentional. I think it can be so easy if you're in NRE to just, I don't know, let your mind and heart just kind of ferry you away on a pink colored cloud into the starry night. And that's all you can think about. I, I do think that there's a certain amount of making sure that you're acting in a way where, you know, you can let your head be in the clouds, but your feet still on the ground is the phrase that I like to use. So making sure that you, first of all, are clear about how it is you as a person want to be showing up in all your relationships, right? Not just the one that you're particularly excited about at that moment. And making sure that you're aware of how you want other people and your partner, especially your current monogamous partner, to think and feel about you, right? I think sometimes putting yourself in their shoes can be really helpful. Yeah. I think just in general... I know Dedeker was being cheeky when she said it earlier, but checking with that partner about what makes them feel special. Because when you think about this question, if you're polyamorous, right, you have multiple partners, and your monogamous partner is one of those, what makes them special in your life doesn't necessarily have to be different from the way that you make any of your partners feel special. Assuming that their choice to be monogamous is their choice, and that's just what they prefer to do, I think sometimes we can project on that of, oh, if they're not also dating other people, maybe they're lonely or they're not happy with that because I think I wouldn't be happy with that. But they actually might love it that way. So they get more of their own time or just more independence or it's just simpler and that's not something they want to deal with right now in their life. 
So I do think checking in with them is important, not only to get a sense of what makes them feel special, but also to get some of that reassurance that just because you might want something or think you would feel some way in their shoes doesn't necessarily mean they feel that way. As a sort of silly different example, I have a friend of mine who anytime I invite her to something, with, you know, to a gathering of my other friends, I always kind of put in this caveat of it's okay, you know, like if you ever want to leave, just let me know and we will leave. You know, you don't have to hang around with people you don't know or whatever. And she always has to tell me like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I like people. You're the introverted one. Like, <laughs> I'm an extra. I will be fine. Like, sure. Thank you. I'll, I'll let you know, but you don't need to worry so much about me, but it's me projecting my own fears or worries that I think I would feel in her situation onto her. Right. So really I think that's something else to keep in mind with your monogamous partner. All right. With that, let's move on to this next question. How do you balance being codependent versus being supportive, especially in a way that doesn't make your partner feel abandoned or unloved? I'm trying to transition out of the codependent tendencies of monogamy. So often I feel pulled down by their anxieties, I'm assuming there is their partner, their anxieties and worries when I share none of them. I want to be there to support them, but I need to be able to do so without letting it pull down the rest of my life doubly so where it bleeds into my interactions with other partners because it's totally unfair to them. Yeah, I think this one's true in a lot of areas of our lives of, you know, how do we support people without taking on all of their stuff? I think that we can sometimes feel that by taking on someone else's fears and anxieties and worries that we're helping them in some way, but we're not. That that's not actually doing anything to help them. And so I think some of us, and I say that because I'm one of those people who tends to feel like, oh, if I just take it on, I'm helping them somehow. And I've had to teach myself that's not the case and that getting like, too affected by their emotions isn't being a better friend, isn't being a better partner. You're just kind of wearing yourself out more and making yourself actually less able to support them and take care of them. I think utilizing some of our tools like the Triforce and Radar are really great in these scenarios. The Triforce, so you can ask specifically what it is that that person needs in the moment from you. And then that allows you to maybe to a degree sort of compartmentalize it and allow yourself to give what they want and need most. And then not not more, not too much more, not like an abundance that makes it really hard for you to be able to function in other areas of your life. And in a radar scenario... That's sort of a compartmentalized moment for you to discuss challenges that may be ongoing or happening, you know, in other areas of your life or their life and really be able to like sit and take that time to do it and then put it on hold for the rest of the time as well. And I think that's challenging, but it's great to be able to have those like safe spaces and containers. I want to zero in on the, quote, codependent tendencies of monogamy, because this is something that I find myself speaking about a lot with my clients, actually, where if we think about this on a spectrum where I do think traditional monogamy encourages us in this more codependent direction where the ultimate ideal state is we become a unit, Two people become a unit. We become a hive mind. It's literally biblical <laughs> to become one flesh, right? Mm -hmm. And we're, we're one heart split between two bodies or what, what have you. Okay, so if we, if we frame that as one 
end of the extreme. And then if we go to the full opposite end, we get extreme independence, extreme emphasis on the individual. I do see some non-monogamous and relationship anarchy people going in this direction of, no, we're all just floating atoms. We're not connected to each other. My shit is my shit. Your shit is your shit. If I did something that made you uncomfortable, that's on you to deal with it. There's no impact that my actions have on you or whatever. You know, often I've called this emotional or relationship libertarianism. We're completely extricating ourselves from any sense that I have an impact on the other person and like going into this extreme kind of independence of identity and self and all those things. And then there's sort of this middle path. There's many, many different flavors of this in between where I think in relationship, we don't necessarily want to go full hive mind. We don't want to go full on just floating atoms. But I do think there's something about we're on the same team in relationship. And to me, I think that lives in that realm of of like healthy interdependence, right? Where, of course, we want to support the people that we love. Of course, we want them to support us. Of course, we're going to make decisions and take actions that not only benefit just ourselves, but also the people around us that we love. But we're also not so wrapped up in it that we subsume ourselves, we subsume our own desires, our own needs, our own mental state for the sake of the other person. And I'm sure that all sounds well and good, and it's a lot easier said than done. But I I think that's what comes to mind for me here is finding that middle path of, and ideally, again, ideally, in the spirit of being on the same team, this is something you and your partner can collaborate on, right? It's like there's also an active meta conversation around the best ways that the two of you can support each other when you're having a hard time while also having your own desires, your own needs, other relationships that you need to show up for, things like that. Something to think about as a practical way to apply some of that, and this is just based on the experience of myself and several of my friends where I've seen this happen, is in terms of internalizing that stress on yourself beyond just being supportive of that partner, that I've seen tends to come from getting too attached to their outcomes and their decisions. So it's one thing to be supportive either in a Triforce 2 kind of way of just, you know, gosh, yeah, that does sound tough. Or yeah, you can do it. Or, you know, I'll share your celebrations with you. Or even a T3 wanting advice where you're actually giving them some suggestions, some options, some things to think about. But when you do that, but then also hold on to this, and I need to make sure they do the right thing, or I need to make sure that this works out right, gets one into this area of a certain amount of codependence that I think monogamy teaches us, where it's like my partner's success and their choices reflects on me, and so I need to be up in that business, maybe in a way that's not healthy. That's maybe a sort of inverse form of codependence or something, like a controlling even if it comes from a good place, right? I want to help this person. I want them to be doing better in their life, but it can feel like this urge to control and really be attached to their outcomes instead of letting them make their own choices and also live their own life. And that's easier said than done, but hopefully that at least gives you something to look at of, is there a piece of that? Is there something where I'm getting a little bit attached to theirs? I know this still happens to me with friends or whoever. If I'm too attached to wanting them to get a certain outcome, I carry a lot more of that stress with me in the rest of my life than I'm just 
they're supporting them and maybe I'll think about it and oh, I hope they're doing well, but it's not that same like, oh gosh, I'm all torn up over how stressed I am about this situation in their life. Yeah, that's why I think our framework of the Triforce is so awesome and important because it can kind of stop that feeling of I have to fix something immediately and that's the only way that my partner is going to get any value out of this conversation that they're having with me when they're venting if Mm. I try to fix the situation and make it better. And instead of going there right away, just ask, just figure out what it is that they really need in that moment. Because a lot of times it may just be love and support and not, I've got to fix this thing. I have to make it better for them immediately. Because that's taking on your own emotional bullshit that isn't Mm -hmm. always necessary and often is just going to make the whole situation worse for you. We're going to go on now to talk about some questions having to do with metamors. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show. If you appreciate this content, if you enjoy this show, it would really go a long way if you just take a moment to check out our sponsors for this. And if any seem interesting to you, go check them out. It does directly support our show because they see that you came with our promo codes and then that helps us keep this show going and available to everybody out there for free. And also, if you haven't yet, go get our book, multiamory.com slash book. You can go get more information about that. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. Now we are moving on to metamore challenges. How do you handle your meta de-escalating with your partner? She and I get along great, but ever since she decided to de-escalate with our mutual partner, I don't hear from her at all anymore. I feel like I've lost a friend and I can't help but feel like a part of it is my fault, even though nobody has explicitly said anything like that to me. Oof. Yeah, that's hard. I've been in that situation. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been in that situation where I've had metamors, maybe they weren't necessarily like a super close friend, but it was still kind of sad to know, oh, now that they've broken up with this partner or my partner has broken up with them or whatever it may be, it's just kind of sad to know, oh, by default, I'm kind of included in 
not the breakup. Being, the- yeah, kind of included in the breakup, which is a little bit of a bummer. I suppose the, I don't know, the approach I've always taken is just kind of accepting that that's their choice. It's a little bit easier, again, when it's more of an acquaintance situation where maybe it's easier to not take it quite so personally, but it is a little bit sad. Yeah, it's tough depending on how messy that breakup was for them. If it was a de-escalation, but that they're still civil with each other, you could entertain the idea of reaching out and seeing that the part where the question asker says, I can't help but feel like part of it is my fault, even though no one has said that. I would interpret that to more be the question asker has pondered, is there something I could do about this that I'm not doing? And it's possible there's not, right? It's possible that there's no way you could try to keep that relationship going without just making stuff weird with your partner, or maybe that metamor is just feels too uncomfortable about it and doesn't want to. But it is something that you could consider reaching out about. I I think that the closest kind of sort of mainstream world analogous thing to this would be a coworker who gets fired or just takes a job somewhere else. And it is that, well, I don't see them anymore. So this sort of friendship time that we used to get for free, we don't get anymore. So it's that, do I still reach out? Do we stay a little in touch? Do I try to stay very in touch? Or is it okay to maybe just occasionally reach out and and evaluate how that relationship is? But I don't know. I think it's worth acknowledging that that doesn't have to mean it's gone away completely, but it also doesn't mean that you're failing if you're not putting in now extra effort you didn't used to have to put in to maintain that relationship. This is sort of tangentially related, but my partner and I were at a gaming conference once and we saw across the room a person that he had formerly lived with that was the girlfriend of someone who he had also lived with. So they all lived together in this big house and then the girlfriend and his his friend had broken up and we tried to go over and say hi to her and she basically just ignored us. Oh, and man. that was really interesting and hard and kind of like, whoa, what what's up there? But she reached out after the fact and said, hey, I apologize, but... I really just didn't even want to think about my ex in that moment in any way. And you were not hugely a part of that, but it reminded me of my experience with that person. And so soon after the fact, I just didn't even want to go there. And that Mm. was kind of telling for me because I, I realized like, even though you may feel, hey, I had nothing to do with this, it may just be challenging for that person for a period of time to even be around you. And so just give it a minute. And I think Mm, that's really okay, even if it is six months or even a year. Because if you did really get along with that person, I'd like to think that you could go back to them eventually and just be like, hey, how are you? I've I've thought about you a lot over this this period of time. And I know that that might have been really challenging. And I just wanted you to know that I have always continued to think of you fondly. And I'd love to maybe get coffee sometime, maybe see you again in some way. And even just starting from that place, that's that's really sort of a hands-off approach, but just gently, you know, making your way over to them in some small fashion, maybe that would soften the blow a bit for them and, and allow them to want to come back into your life. I find myself wondering also that this seems like a situation where it could be very easy for this other person to not be reaching out because they think, oh, what if I make it weird 
right? Or what if they don't want to hear from you? Or what if they were only friends with me because we had a mutual partner? So I think that, you know, for the question asker, if this is something that remains on your heart and on your mind, I don't think there's any, I don't know, I think the risk is low if you do want to reach out to this person just to simply express that like maybe you still want to be friends, but it's also okay that if they need to take time or if they're not interested in that and just wishing them well. And like, I don't know, I think it's okay to at least just like, why not communicate, right? Just to clarify that this is where your heart is, but also to make sure that you're not enacting any sense of pressure or coercion, that you're just compassionate and empathetic and understanding. And then if that person is open to it, great. You can continue a relationship. If they're not, then that's fine. You know, that's their choice. So yeah, I think the combination of being clear in your communication and being open to that taking time, I think is the approach that I would take. Let's go on to this next one here, which is a short question. Other than going parallel, how do you cope with a metamorph you dislike? So basically, other than just not interacting with them that much, right? Like I date my partner, they date that partner, but we don't all hang out together. What else can you do to cope with a metamorph that you don't like? I think well, we've all had this situation at different times in our lives. I want to zoom out and just ask, okay, again, if we're not talking about going parallel, not talking about cutting this person out of your life completely, not choosing to pretend like they're dead or invisible or things like that, how do we in general deal with people that we dislike, that we have to be close to, whether it's, I have to go to work with this coworker, I have to hang out with my mom's friend, I have this family member, I have my boyfriend's roommate or whatever it is, right? We have to deal with people that we dislike all the time. And so how do we deal with those situations? Be cordial and respectful, but you don't necessarily have to hang out with them. Clearly, you are potentially going to be in situations where you are literally in the same room with them with your partner. I think of a couple times where all of us were at parties with an ex's other partner that I didn't particularly, I wasn't particularly fond of. of She annoyed the crap out of all of us. But in you big know, and small ways, yes. But uh, it, but we we just kind of said hi, and it was a very very like small acquaintance level of communication. I feel like it was it, it was almost no communication. And if something occurred that was a little, I don't really appreciate what you just said to me there. You just kind of deal with it and move on, mm-hmm. and don't take it so personally. Even though I know that might be challenging. Yeah, it does make me think of that idea of a coworker that just really gets under your skin, or even one that you feel like is a little bit actively antagonistic to you. I feel like that can happen that with can coworkers happen as well, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think using that as a benchmark is helpful because, on the one hand, there's only so much you can do. Uh, you know, just in terms of when you're around them, do your best to just not engage and kind of go in with a sense of, okay, whatever, they're going to do their thing. I'm not going to let it get under my skin. That's easier said than done sometimes. And then the other is do what you can to distance yourself from those situations or from that person, you know, in a polite way. Don't let them make it so you can't ever go to anything or go to any work events or whatever it is. In this case, events with your partner. Don't let them sort of chase you away from all of that. But at the same time, Maybe you choose not to have brunch that Saturday with both of them or something just because it's not worth it. 
And that's a decision you'll have to continue to make. I'm going to make an argument for the opposite approach. Not oh. that I no, okay. just not going just, and becoming their best friend. No, <laughs> just for the sake of making the argument, I, I think that what Jace has said and what Emily has said, I think those are both 100% valid approaches. And I just, just for the sake of rounding it all out, I want to make the opposite argument, which is, I always think about when I first read the ethical slot that something that stood out to me was when they were talking about metamor relationships, they said. Yeah, you don't have to be best friends with your metamor. You don't have to be a lover with your metamor. But we do encourage you to make an effort to, they called it, quote, fall in like with your metamor as opposed to falling in love with your metamor. So I think about a couple of different backgrounds and a couple of different hats that I wear slash have worn in my life. One of them being, you know, the hat of being a relationship coach. And I've done a lot of therapy trainings. And there's been this recurring theme about if you're working with someone and you cannot find anything that you like about them, you shouldn't be working with them. You're not going to be helpful to them. If you don't respect them, if they get on your nerves, if they're annoying to you, you have to find something. And so I think for myself, having worked with like hundreds of clients at this point, not all of whom I like right out the gate, <laughs> I'm so sorry to tell you, plenty of people bother me, whether it's their mannerisms, whether it's the way they talk about things, whether it's I just straight up disagree with a viewpoint that they have on something or disagree with where they are on the political spectrum. But I feel like I've had to learn to try to build that muscle of finding the things to like. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that goes beyond just the first impression with somebody. So I just want to make the case for the reason you dislike someone could just be they made a bad first impression the first five times you hung out with them. Mm -hmm. And maybe it takes a little bit more actual one-on-one -on -one time actually getting to know them before you find the things that you like. And it doesn't mean you're going to become best friends. It doesn't mean you're going to fall in love with them, but maybe it makes it a little bit easier to be in shared spaces with them. And then the other thing I was going to talk about was also pulling on my background. And we all share this background of being in performance and being actors, uh -huh. where sometimes you're in a scene with someone and you got to pretend to be in love with them and you don't like them. Maybe you're not even attracted to them. And so for myself, in order for that to be realistic and sustainable is you have to find something. Wasn't that an mm -hmm. Ivana Chubbuck thing, Jace? All the acting teachers All the have acting things teachers. like that. Well, like yeah, I, yeah, Ivana like Chubbuck's not the them. first person to realize, huh, sometimes people in scenes don't actually like each other, but they need to pretend <laughs> to like each other. I'm, I'm sorry, sure Ivana Chubbuck, you're sure. great, but you're not revolutionary. Anyway, to get back to this... <laughs> I know she also maybe to this not podcast. that great. Yeah, <laughs> Ivana, Chubbuck, I if you're, you're listening, listening, reach out and we should talk because I've I've got some issues actually that I've been carrying with me <laughs> since the years I spent in in your school. So let's talk. There you go. Anyway, to bring it back, but that's part of it, right? Is you got to find something to like, and so where I think that becomes relevant is even if it's like I got to get through this birthday party. I never hang out with this metamor because we don't really get along. We don't have a lot of points in common. We don't have a lot of shared interests. But like, I got to get through this birthday party. So I'm going to find something to like about you for the next two hours. Or mm -hmm. I'm going to just choose to, to play with you and have fun with you, even though I know we're not necessarily going to have a super deep relationship outside of this. So I would make the argument for taking that approach and just seeing what happens, right? I like that idea also just from that concept of not holding grudges or trying to keep people too attached to whatever your first impression of them was. Because again, thinking about the coworker analogy, I've had 
coworkers that I really did not like at first. Like they gave me yucky vibes. I was like, mm, I don't like this guy. There's something about him. And I think he kind of had similar bad vibes about me. And we ended up getting to a place where I have a lot of respect for him. And I, and I like him, even though I don't think I'd ever go out of my way to hang out with him. But we can be cool together. And I have the sense of, okay, yeah, something about us rubs each other a little bit wrong, but I like the guy enough anyway. Some of us were taught, like, oh, if you get a bad vibe, that's it. They're dead to you forever. And so just staying open to that idea of finding something you can like is really important. Let's move on to the next one. What are some polite or maybe regretful ways you may have notified a meta of a very negative past experience with another person that they are intending to date while leaving room for the possibility that they have done the shadow work and grown since you've last had contact with that person? Pitfalls, best practices? This is a deep, deep, deep well of a question, in my opinion. Indeed. I, yeah, I think that the non-monogamous community needs to deal with this maybe more so than people who are monogamous because of the fact that we're more likely to be crossing paths with exes, maybe more likely to be crossing paths with exes metas or ex metas or the our metas ex or all, all those things. Like I think we're more <laughs> likely because we're in these smaller dating pools, smaller communities, we're more likely to have to deal with the situation of, ooh, I dated someone I had a negative experience with them and now I am watching them going and dating somebody else or maybe they are currently dating someone someone else and I'm having to figure out how do I deal with that? Is there some particular onus on me to have to notify a meta or a potential meta that, hey, I had a negative experience with this person? Something that just jumps out to me real quick I wanted to point out is the fact that they use the word notify in this question. Honestly, I think if that's the way you're thinking about it, that should be a little bit of a, a warning light that pops up because it's not saying, oh, should I open up to my metamor about this thing? As in, we talk about these sorts of things and I'm debating whether I should share this or not. But it's notify, meaning almost like I'm going to go out of my way and tell them this thing that they didn't ask for, that they don't normally talk to me about just because I had this bad experience. And not to say that's always the wrong thing to do, but that should raise some flags of, okay, let me approach this cautiously and see if this actually is the right thing to do. So I think, so, okay, this hits close to home for me. I'm going to share my experience going through this in the past, fully understanding that many people listening may completely disagree with what I chose to do. I'm, I'm fine with the choice that I made. And I totally get some people are not going to be fine with the choice that I made. But basically, the situation was that I was in a relationship with someone who literally physically abused me, right? Okay, like it was literally an intimate partner violence situation. He was also dating somebody else, dating my metamor. Uh, I was on speaking terms with my metamor. She and I had formed somewhat of an independent acquaintance relationship during the course of that relationship. And when I broke up with this person, I struggled right out the gate of like some really messed up things happened in our relationship. What is my obligation to tell my meta about the things that happened? And I had no idea what to do. You know, I asked my therapist at the time. My therapist had zero experience with non-monogamy. And so I think she was also just like, uh, you know, really couldn't give me a good answer, good guidance there. I went... <laughs> 
Uh, I went and did what we all do sometimes, which is go anonymously post on the polyamory subreddit, trying to get other people's thoughts and opinions on this. I explained the situation in the polyamory subreddit, at least at that time, people's overwhelming response was like, you have to tell her, like, you have to tell her what happened in your relationship. And I spent a lot of time being like, okay, okay, I have to tell her. Okay, I have to tell her. Okay, I have to think about how I'm going to write this email to her or get on a phone call with her. Like, how do I tell her, you know? And I never did. And part of it being that, like, I think at that time when I was newly out of this relationship, there was a lot of other stuff that I had to deal with on my plate, right? I had to deal with just transitioning out of that relationship. I had to deal with the PTSD that showed up six months later. I had to deal with talking to my family and friends and the people that were much closer to me about what happened in that relationship and what I needed. And I think ultimately, I came to this conclusion that like, I think my own inner peace right now is more important than feeling the need to notify this person of what happened in our relationship. Now, again, there were some particular circumstances going on in that like the relationship that my ex had with my meta was like a long distance one. They didn't see each other very often, you know, like it wasn't a day to day relationship. It, it was maybe even a little bit more of a comet relationship. Right. And so for me, it was kind of like, well, I don't know. That's on them. Like I also can, and I know this is really uncomfortable for people to think about, but I also kind of had to try on this idea of like, maybe this partner that we hold in common has done that shadow work. Maybe this is something, this is behavior that partner will never express towards my meta. Like, I don't know. Maybe they will have grown, you know, since we broken up. Maybe this is something they will never do again. I don't know. For me, it was just like, I can't stand the thought of opening up this basket of worms again, you know? And so if my meta comes to me and asks about something, then I can talk about it. But it's not on me to go and specifically tell this person, hey, this happened in this relationship over here. So that was the choice that I made. I don't necessarily regret that choice. From what I could tell, I don't think that relationship lasted anyway um, Mm -hmm. for reasons that I didn't want to dig into. So I don't know. That was my thing. And I think some people will respect that choice and some people will really not respect that choice. But that was kind of where I landed on it. So to go from that situation to where there was like literal abuse to what this person is saying, which is, oh, I had a negative experience with this person. Then I feel like, no, it's not your job. It's not your job. Because it sounds like if they've asked this question in this way of like, hey, how do I create room for the possibility that this person has done the shadow work and they've grown? I'm like, there, you've created that possibility by like staying out of it. Oh, God. This is really difficult because I know I've had relationships with people who have been emotionally abusive and I have spoken about it to their exes after the fact and discuss like, yeah, this person wasn't great in a variety of ways, and those ways sort of parallel each other, your experience and my experience. But it's really tough because I I agree with you, Dedeker, that especially in polyamorous relationships, you may be in a relationship with someone and you may be having a really shitty time and someone else may be having a really great time. And that Mm -hmm. just simply is a fact. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship with them is going to be identical to their relationship with every other person they're ever in relationship with. And that's so tough because I I do have this knee-jerk reaction of I want to alert the world to the shittiness of said person. But it's not always going to be the case that that is everyone's experience of them. 
it's a really like pick and choose thing, especially if this person is in a community. You don't want to like put them on blast I, and well, just say like, yeah, Fuck, I think, they're terrible. I think that's the thing I need to clarify also about my situation is I knew I don't have to interact with this person ever again. Yeah. Right. They we're, we're not in running country. in the same circles. Myself or sorry, this partner and my meta is like, we are not at all going to have to interact again based on the circumstance. I think if I was in a community that that would make that choice a little bit harder. Like Definitely. if it's like, oh, this person who did something really horrible to me, I now have to instantly be going to the same events as them or going to the same meetup groups as them or what, you know, like that would make it a lot harder. So for myself in that situation is a little bit easier. And maybe I kind of had more of the privilege of just like washing my hands of the whole situation and letting the chips fall where they may. But, you know, so that I could then focus on my own healing work and what it was that I needed. And in this person's situation here, they're saying they're debating notifying a metamor about a negative experience that the question asker had with a totally different person that that metamor is intending to date. So this isn't even their shared partner. This is some other ex of theirs that they're metamor, which we could also read as acquaintance in this case, it sounds like, is intending to date this person. So that's also part of it too, right? Is is this someone that you give each other advice a lot and talk about your past relationships or did they ask you for your experience? Then it's a very different question than, well, I only kind of know this person and I had a shitty time with this person. Do I tell them? I would say, no, that's not, that doesn't make sense, right? You know, you two might not have been compatible. It's like we it's talk about on this show. That, advice. Mm-hmm. Well, and that someone doesn't have to be a bad person for you to break up with them, and it's just not the right relationship for you, that might be the right relationship for them, right? Maybe even if that person hasn't done that shadow work, as you've said, that might just be something that for that other person isn't as big a deal, or is a thing they can deal with, or that they can grow with, or whatever. You just, you can't know that. And so I guess I would tend to Put that out there if you're thinking about sort of going out of your way to notify someone who might be like, why are you messing in my business and trying to mess up my relationships? That to me feels weird. And that's the other thing. If it's just reporting on a bad experience or a negative experience you had with someone, I guess I'm wondering, like, how likely do you think it is that this person is going to listen to you? I think Mm. you can express whatever it is that you like, but if you're super attached to the outcome being that means this person doesn't date this person. Yeah, like, I'm like, you can't, yeah, good luck with that. You have to let people be the ones to make their own decisions. And so if this is inspiring you to not just want to, quote unquote, notify this person of the bad experience you have, but also be like, I need to go on a campaign to convince you not to date them. That's going to be taking on a lot of emotional labor and energy for something that you don't have a ton of control over. So I think that would be the thing I'd want to warn people away from. Something we want to keep in mind here is that we don't really have any of the actual context about this question. And so we're making some assumptions, one, based on how we see a lot of people. I think social media has really encouraged this, but doing a lot more meddling in other people's relationships that maybe we shouldn't be. And then also some of the things like the question saying notified rather than, you know, share about or talk to kind of implying they don't have a close relationship. But we could be totally wrong in this case. You know, it really does depend on that situation. So it is worth considering, am I afraid that if I don't tell this person this thing, that they'll be in actual physical danger? 
or that this is something very, very serious that I need to warn this person about. Like there's something that I have evidence to suggest this is a pattern and this is likely to repeat. And this person, because of the situation that they're in with this person, I'm afraid for them. I mean, yeah, you're going to make a different decision then, or at least I think you could to say, yeah, I do want to step in and do my part as a good citizen. But if it's just to say that you had a shitty experience with someone, then not. And so it's, I think it's up to you, the listener and the question asker, to do that inner work yourself and that shadow work yourself of where on that spectrum am I? Which way is this coming down? And if you just need someone to tell you, you don't need to go around and tell everyone the bad experience you had to save them from maybe having a bad experience, then yeah, you're off the hook. That's not your responsibility. You don't have to do that. But if it is something a little trickier and, and harder, then yeah, you are going to have to really give that some consideration and decide what is the right thing for you to do. All right, let's set that down now and move on to something a little bit more uplifting to finish off this episode. This question asker said, this is kind of silly because y'all obviously talk about it all the time couched in other topics, but I was thinking about how nice it would be to hear about the joys of Polly, TM, TM, TM. <laughs> I love that they put that in there. <laughs> I think it'd be so lovely to hear y'all talk about your experiences of Polly euphoria where you're like, damn, yeah, this feels great. Yeah. Damn, yeah. Damn. <laughs> damn, yeah. yeah. This feels great. I mean, I just had an experience of this, uh, what, a couple weeks ago now when um, one of Dedeker's new partners was up. We were all hanging out, playing video games on the couch together. And, you know, if they passed each other in the hall, they'd give a little kiss or whatever. And we were all sitting near each other on the couch and he and I are pals. And it was just like, yeah, this is cool. This is nice to get to have this just kind of, we don't have to be so so stressed about oh, what, what does this person think? What do I think? And, and specifically, it made me feel really good about the fact that I've been doing this as long as I have to where it was that, you know, the same experience might have been just a little more uncomfortable or a little bit weirder seven years ago or however long. And it's not now, even if those little thoughts come up of, oh, is this a thing I, sh I could be jealous about? It's like, mm, yeah, but it'd be better not to, right? That'd be easier not to. <laughs> And that felt really good. Just be like, yeah, that's a cool place to be. And I like yeah, that. Yeah, you know what? I, I do like that. It's mm. like the kind of small, in my brain, I think of them as like paper cut jealousy moments where it's not mm. like, oh, I need to pull the brakes on this whole thing and have an emergency meeting about getting my needs met. It's like a paper cut. It's like, oh, I'll put a Band-Aid on it, right? Uh, and that's fine. I guess, Jace, you're kind of like, I could be jealous about this or I could just not. And it's probably better to not. Like, I guess there's times where, yeah, there's enough of those years of experience and maybe enough mm -hmm. of feeling of security in your relationships that you're like, oh, I'm just going to choose to not be upset about this. And that sounds so, <laughs> like, so dismissive <laughs> yeah. of any struggles. Trust me, I have plenty of my own struggles where I can't just choose to not be upset about it. But sometimes there are those little moments that are nice. And yeah, I think it was on that same visit. The two of you like did a jam band together. Oh, cool. While, yeah. yeah while I made, I'm like, jealous a matcha, of that. Yeah. Like the two of them jammed together while I like made a matcha cheesecake in the kitchen. And it was, it was great. <laughs> Emily looks so, <laughs> Emily's so, so shocked. Jealous. And so I just jealous. also want a matcha cheesecake if it's vegan. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And for me, yeah, I think a lot of it 
is related to those kind of nice community, family, chosen family feeling moments, like times in the past. I know when Jace, you had to go to surgery, like some outpatient surgery, and myself and my meta getting to go along to support you in that. And just, I don't know, like moments of meta teamwork feel really mm, nice. Yeah. Both on yeah, the receiving cool. end, you know, if, if I have multiple partners who are working together or if I'm working together with a meta, that feels really good and really joyful to me. Mm-hmm. I'd say getting to see the multiple experiences that you have with different partners kind of in real time, like you said, in those community type situations, getting to like have a little fun aside with one person and then moving over to the other person and getting to kiss them or have your own mini moment with them is really lovely. And then seeing them get to do that with other people as well. And yeah, if if possible, if in those moments you've kind of gotten to a place where that's not challenging for you to witness anymore, those moments are really awesome. It's It's great to see your partner also exist as a human outside of you and be flourishing in a specific way that is just simply their own. I love yeah. that. Like even sometimes like getting to see the two of you like existing in your own little bubble over here. And it happens a lot when I am hanging out with you in person, but you have these like very tender moments and it's really like quite lovely to, to view and see. And even though we're not in relationship in that way, I think I, I get sort of a, a whiff of that, a metamorph experience, I think, by seeing the two of you have these really intimate moments that are that are quite lovely and precious to witness. Precious sort of, moments. Some precious moments, sort of related to that. I think we, the three of us, tend to have this together and have had this historically. But I like being able to do a little bit of the, what would I call it, low-key wingmanning, wingwomaning, wingpersoning mm-hmm. for each other. Even if it's not straight up, I'm going to try to hook you up with this person, but just kind of encouraging like, oh yeah, this person's super hot or oh yeah, like you totally have a crush on this person. There's something about that which I sometimes take for granted because in the episode mm. that's coming out next week that I'm writing, I spent some time looking into how so much of traditional monogamous culture really discourages us from talking about attraction to other people or encouraging a partner to be attracted to other people or to talk to your that. partner about their <laughs> past sexual experiences or past relationships, you know, and yeah, that's stuff that I love. It's so informative. Like I it's know. really necessary. And it's like, hi, oh, you find that person attractive. Fascinating. I love that, Dedeker. I guess I'll throw another one in there too. Something that I've really come to appreciate over the last few years, since I haven't really had any other serious relationships that more than a couple dates since the end of 2019. So it's been a few years. But whenever I'm out and about in the world, or even on the online version of the world, (laughs) uh, or, you know, traveling for work, just this sense of, yeah, if I connect with someone, I get to enjoy that connection, that there's not that sense of, oh, shit, but I got to stay away from this person, or I got to avoid these feelings, or kind of that fear of what's what's too flirty, or what's too close, or whatever, and instead kind of getting to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to feel some kind of pressure to make something happen necessarily, but if it did, that's cool. And that's a, that's just a neat feeling. To, it's like getting the best of both worlds of having that sense of 
I, I have a great relationship and I love that and that's awesome. And I've also got these really good friendships that I prioritize and I value. But also, you know, if someone wants to flirt, I'm down to flirt, you know, and we'll mm -hmm. see what happens there. And that's that's just cool. That's that's awesome getting to have that feeling. And I can think that's one of the things that I really have come to appreciate, especially not having other partners right at the moment, of just that, yeah, but I still feel like a polyamorous person in the sense of I have that availability or that freedom to explore different connections as they come, as opposed to trying to force them to happen because I need a partner right now or feeling like I can't let them happen because I have a partner right now. Mm -hmm. Something that I've been thinking about for years is I think being non-monogamous has enabled so much more, I don't really know how to describe it, but like breathing room around my own sexuality. And I don't just mean that regarding having sex with multiple people, but I mean literally like being able to explore different types of attraction, right? Because for me, being someone who identifies as pansexual, that's just complicated for me. And mm. I really appreciate that, for instance, I can go to a partner and just be open about these things of, yeah, I find myself kind of attracted to this type of person, but I've never, you know, I've never really explored that part of my sexuality. I'm thinking about what could it be like, you know, yada, yada, yada. I don't know. There's something about, I guess, like what you were talking about, um, being able to have an independent sexuality so that like when I talk to a partner about sex, it's not just about, oh, the sex that you and I have or like the attraction that you and I have or what sex acts are on the table or not on the table for you and me, but also for both of us independently, who else we're attracted to or what we fantasize about that's outside of just this particular relationship. And I realize that's not on the table for everybody. That can bring up weird feelings for some people. But I know for me, I've I don't know. I've just really appreciated that, that it doesn't feel like there's some taboo part of my sexuality that I can't talk to my partner about mm -hmm. or can't talk to any of my partners about because that's just not acceptable within the relationship. So, I mean, I guess that's something that you could have in monogamy, but often I think traditional monogamy, again, sort of clamps down on that from the get-go with this idea that, you know, your sexuality sort of de facto belongs just to this one other person. And so anything that they can't provide or or can't live up to is not something that you should really be discussing or entertaining. 100%. Well, we hope that you all learned a lot today. We do, as always, by listening and reading these questions and getting to think about all of these things. It's fun to have a conversation and to sometimes not agree with each other. And we know that Perhaps not all of you will agree with everything that we say, but it's great to continue the conversation. So our question for the week, which is going to be on our Instagram stories, is what are the best parts of being polyamorous? Let's continue on this discussion, and we can't wait to hear what it is that you have to say. If you want to discuss more of this episode with other people, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is the episode discussion channel in our Discord server or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. 
The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.